You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 545 for February 17th, 2021. On today's show, composer G. Haley. I am coming to you from Port Orford, a small town in coastal Oregon. It is supposedly the westernmost town in the United States, uh, you know. I haven't confirmed that, but that's what Wikipedia says. I'm here because a couple of days ago, well, actually slightly longer as you're listening to this, I'm recording this on Sunday. A couple of days ago, my van lost its serpentine belt on a winding mountain road here in Oregon. I lost most of my steering and the van's temperature quickly shot up to the maximum. And I was able to nurse it to a place where I had the weakest cell signal imaginable. I finally get a tow truck who towed me to this town where the garage is closed. By the time you're hearing this, I'm hoping everything's been fixed and I'm on the road again, but who knows? Anyway, I bring that up to say this is a really wonderful time for you to become a member of the Jazz Session. Now that I'm living and traveling in a van, your memberships are more important than ever to the success of this show. You can become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You get early access to the shows and bonus episodes and all kinds of cool stuff. So please take a second to go to thejazzsession.com slash join right now and become a member. While I'm asking you for favors, here's one that costs no money at all. Would you take a second to rate and review the show either on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen? Nearly 14 years ago when I started the Jazz Session, it had no competition whatsoever, and now there are more jazz podcasts. So in order to help it rise through the ranks, a good review and a good rating really, really does a lot. So thanks for taking the time to do that. Jihei Lee's new album of large ensemble music is called Daring Mind. Lee, welcome to the Jazz Session. Hello, everyone, and Jason. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. We are here to talk about a new album by the Jihei Lee Orchestra. It's called Daring Mind. It's fabulous, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. But before we dig into the album, 
first of all, this is your first time on the show, so I kind of want to introduce people to you. And also, I think it's safe to say you're the only person who's ever been on this show in nearly 14 years who has the particular background you have, which is that you didn't start out as a jazz musician or a composer. You started out in a completely different section of the music industry. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, I'm not from musical family at all. I think the entire my family member, um, I only have one classical flute player, which is my uncle. He's the only one. Other than that, I have no musician family members or my parents, you know, never really listened to like good music. We just had like TV on and then whatever it comes out, a lot of that music comes out. That was my, you know, music that I grew up listening to. And then my classical piano training only happened for about six months when I was nine years old, things like that. So like people just assume if someone is, someone is a composer, oh, she or he is probably pianist or, you know, horn players, whatever. But I don't have any backgrounds like that. After six months of piano learning, I started playing guitar when I was in high school for just a just a year but I wasn't really learning I wasn't really learning from professional but uh, it's just like hobby-ish you know just gathering like university people just gathering as a hobby they played lots of like rock music and then I just played guitar rock guitar for a year you know I think I didn't really see the future of it because they didn't really provide me good theory or like good musical foundation I just learned by ear and then I copied, you know, Guns and Roses, things like that. And then I just played my guitar. And after I started studying theory and ear training, stuff like that by myself. And finally, I happened to be a singer, <laughs> which is funny. And then I went to university in Seoul, uh, in Korea, and I became a singer-songwriter after that. <laughs> and you had success that way, right? Um, I wouldn't call it a success. It's just a minor indie musician success. You know, I just made an album and then I was just gigging, teaching. But I didn't complain about my life at the time, right before I came to America, because I made good money to sustain. And I had, I had lots of students. I had some jobs, like steady jobs. And then, you know, I, I had shows. I had some small group of friends. So I was happy. Somewhere between indie singer-songwriter in Korea and jazz composer in the United States, is there 
is there a big moment or is there just a progression of small moments that started to change your mind about what you were doing? Singing was the first thing that made me interested in music. And then I knew for some reason, even though I didn't learn piano or whatever, but I knew that I would become a musician after I grew up. I don't know where that confidence came from, but you know, after I became a singer or singer-songwriter, I kind of figured that I'm not a singer material. You know, I'm not a diva material. I'm, I, I think I was, I'm a perfectionist, but, you know, performer and composer, I think there's a bit of difference because if you perform, it just goes away. You can't take it back and fix it, edit it, and then give things that you are happy with but composing it's possible so I think my personality kind of like wasn't a performer type of you know quality and then I think I knew and even though my life was pretty happy in Korea like one thing musically I wasn't content unfortunately I didn't have mentors that I can really follow or I didn't really have examples that I want to become like after a while. So I think I I felt a bit lost musically. Like I didn't really have any like plan. Oh, I, I want to become a composer. I want to become a jazz musician. But I knew that Berkeley College of Music in Boston is a big school, has lots of um, music genres happening. Like tons of students came from all over the world. So I just decided to go to the school so that I can figure out what I can uh, what kind of music can content me most? That's how everything started. And how did you know that? Was Berkeley recruiting in Seoul? Yeah, we have like auditions, and most of the jazz musicians in Korea, um, they either go to Berkeley College of Music or Netherlands. Uh, I forgot the name of the school, but in Netherlands there's another school. So those are like common schools at the time that if you want to study abroad, you mostly go there. So when you auditioned for Berkeley, what did you audition to study? You don't declare major yet. You just perform. And then I played one of my, two of my original songs. And I got in with the scholarship. And I just went to Berkeley without knowing what I would want to study. But I knew that I, would, I wanted to become a composer because I was pretty good at theory. And then I had good ears because when I was a kid, I was able to pick up the notes from the cartoon music. So my only instrument at the time was a recorder, and then I played it through in C major, which was, uh, which is movable though. Um, so I knew that I was good at it. But I, and then after Berkeley, I I searched I searched some kind of majors that I can declare for, and there are four types of uh, majors. One is songwriting, but I gave up because my English. Not gave up. I didn't really think about it because, you know, it's more focused on lyric writing, which I was very bad at. And the other one was film scoring. And then at the time, I was overwhelmed by all the, you know, you know, technology, technologies and then all the programs that I have to learn. So I was like, OK, that's not mine. And later, um, I knew that jazz composition exists. So I just, you know, gave, gave myself a chance. And I took jazz competition one. During this first semester, the teacher, after the class, the teacher asked me if I declared 
as a jazz comp major. And then I said, no. And she said, you should. And I did. And that was the winter. During the spring, spring semester, we have like big um, award ceremony. And then I got the prestigious Duke Ellington Award in the competition, jazz competition department. And that was a big surprise for me because I was like, hmm. But it was also a confirmation that I might can pursue this way. So I declared my major and I learned how to um, write for larger ensemble or jazz ensemble. Before that, I never really listened to big band music, live or album recording whatsoever. And I never really heard any saxophone player or trumpet player in like in person live. So, so yeah. you took... You took Jazz Comp 101, never having listened to large ensemble music, and then won a composition award named after possibly the greatest large ensemble composer in American history. That's that's yeah. pretty impressive. I mean, that's a pretty fast progression from I'm not even sure what I'm going to do here to, oh, I've just won an award for composing music that until several <laughs> months ago I didn't even listen to. Yeah, but even though I was writing so, like song music, like singing music, but my harmony was pretty advanced, I would say, because that harmony progression or like some kind of like, I don't know, it wasn't jazz, but it wasn't like one, four, five, one type of, you know, simple progression, harmony progression. But surely, surely I learned lots of skills or things at Berkeley. And the, that class, Jazz competition one that only required me to write 10 uh, lead sheet music. So it wasn't a larger ensemble uh, competition. It was just like melody and chord changes. But I don't know, maybe for like for the teachers, maybe my work, my works were like imp- impressive or they saw some kind of um, potential or, or whatever. I don't know that that changed me forever, I would say, and then I'm here. So you started, and you won that award twice, right? You won it the next year too, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just want to point that out. Um, so you started at Berkeley in in 2011, and obviously had early success. However, starting to think about writing music for a large improvising ensemble, well into the 21st century, in many ways, the day when that was like a money making proposition has long passed. You know, it was like 80 years ago. So um, when you started to look at what your 
you know, you try to focus on the present, but when you start to look ahead at what your life might look like if you pursue this path, did you have some idea of what what might come up or what you wanted to happen? At the time, the musical goal or the music that can make me happy was the most important thing at the time. That's why I gave up lots of things, including my uh, ex-boyfriend and ex-jobs, whatever. I gave up on everything and then I jumped into the uncharted water, which was studying abroad. And then at the time, I, my English was even worse. So I only had one year uh, speaking English experience before I went to Berkeley. So I almost you know, couldn't understand anything <laughs> during the classes. So um, I would say I didn't really think about how I would be able to survive or how I would be you know, successfully living the life with, with enough money. And then I only had just enough money to sustain two years. So my, my original plan was going back to Korea after two years, after I spent all the money that I saved up in Korea. But some kind of miracle happens, including that Duke Ellington Award, because they, they give me money and scholarships. So um, I like miraculously was able to finish Berkeley College of Music Education. And then I continued to Manhattan School of Music. So I wouldn't say I worried about anything regarding that money issue. The word miraculous can sometimes make it seem like you had nothing to do with the miracle. And obviously, talent and hard work make a lot of (laughs) miracles happen that people without talent or who don't work hard sometimes can't make happen. So it wasn't, uh, I don't think <laughs> well, it was just you. that God looked down and decided you should go to Berkeley. <laughs> it was that you proved yourself <laughs> to have what it took. Just a quick break to remind you about membership for five or ten dollars a month. You get bonus content, you get bonus episodes, you get uh, newsletter access, you get some little notes from the road, you get early access to the shows. You get all of that at the jazzsession.com slash join, and it helps me keep doing this show that I've been doing for nearly 14 years now. Thanks so much for becoming a member today. Now back to the interview. Um, 
I know at uh, at Manhattan School of Music, you studied under Jim McNeely. Will you talk about the ways in which that was important to you? Of course. One of the reasons that I went to New that I came to New York was Jim McNeely because um, he was one of my idols that I really wanted to get to know or uh, study under. So that's why I only applied for um, Manhattan School of Music for my master's degree. And I was lucky enough to have them my wish. Um, what he, did you like about him? What What did you, before you studied with him, what made you want to study with him? First, his music. I really loved his uh, work with the Vanguard Orchestra. And I just like his composition, compositional like aesthetics. So, yeah. It just it was just his music. And then after you got there and got a chance to study with him, can you talk about that? What that was like? I really enjoyed studying with him because, like, it's just my personal preference. I don't, I don't really have good time with uh, teachers who picks up lots of details. But more likely, um, I want like, okay, I would say he wasn't teach every details but he guided me through to become to become myself to become like um, an artist like who i am so um rather than he said and then he's very very kind and i would say um what's the word in english mm. <laughs> oh he respects students that's that's what i really liked about um because you know, like he encourages encourages all the students to become, uh, to have their own voice, rather than you should do this, you should do that, or this is not legit, this is legit. So, like someone like me, uh, I really appreciated he just, you know, let me just be. But he also directed me in a very gentle way to uh, to make better decisions, I would say. So you started at Manhattan School in 2015, and you released your first record, which was called April in 2017. So I'm guessing that during your time at Manhattan School, at least some of that time, you were working on the music that would become this first record? No, that's not true, actually. Oh, my so gosh. The first... <laughs> so the first... No, so, so, so for, for the first album, April, all the music, uh, all the compositions are... Uh, from my Boston life. So this happened like that. Um, my first big band composition happened in 2013 winter. And then that was called Deep Blue Sea. And my second big band composition is called April, which was 2014 April. And 2014 in Korea, we had a very terrible ferry wreck, which took 300, over 300 high school kids that uh, life. That was a real, really bad incident. And at the time I was in Boston and then I was very sad about it. And it was just like a, like a funny synchronicity, synchronicity um, that I, that then my compositions were called Deep Blue Sea and April Wind. So it was very right happened in April. So I was like, interesting and 
the real number of the victims were 304. And then my apartment number was 304. So it just gave me some kind of chill. And I just decided to write more music um, to dedicate uh, to the victims for that incident. And then I completed uh, the suite and I did fundraising in 2015 um, and successfully funded some money and I put together the band in Boston, recorded, but didn't release right away. But um, I think 2017, I decided to release and that was, the, that was my first album, April. Okay, that's a better story. I thought, because I was going to be shocked if you said, no, I went to Manhattan school for two years and then in like six weeks wrote all the music for this album and recorded it and released it the <laughs> no same way. year. No, that, so that, that, that story makes a lot more sense than, than what I was imagining. say a little bit more about writing music that was inspired by such I mean such an emotional event can you say how you how you decided to express what you were feeling musically um it's track by track but the the first two compositions it they were already those were already written um but at the time when I was writing Deep Blue Sea I was just like uh thinking about the in the deep blue sea, there there are some swirls, and it was kind of like um, I just wanted to like express the movement of. It was kind of like having sad or like serene, um, whatever feeling that I had. Um, but after I learned about that uh, that incident, I was like, oh, this is the allergy allergy for the victims. And um, like, for instance, there's a there's a track called Guilty um, that came up uh, with the anger towards to the older generation or government or politicians, whatever, because at the time um, there's a there's, you know, a certain cons- cons- conspiracy. But I believe we could have done better to save them. But for some reason, we didn't save or we I don't know if it was couldn't or didn't. So we like indirectly let them die. So the guilty came out with my anger towards the like towards to the injustice or um, our um, inaction or uh, powerlessness. Um, and then the last track that uh, featured Sean Joe Trump on trumpet, it's called "You Are Here." Every time I think of you, it was just I was thinking about about the parents who lost their children. 
even though you're gone, but every time I think of you, you are just here. It's just you're. It's just haunted, haunted by their, you know, children. I, I was thinking about uh, people who lost their loved ones. You mentioned Sean Jones, and let's use that as a stepping stone to the new record, uh, which, just to remind folks, is called Daring Mind. Uh, Sean appears on this album as well. And you collaborated uh, with Darcy James Argue, who's been on this show uh, several times. Uh, can you talk about how that relationship formed? Um, Sean, I knew, like, I got to know him through Berkeley. He was, at the time, the chair of the Brass Department. And I love Berkeley. I love the Berkeley community. It's very supportive. Um, so even though you're just a student, you can just knock knock and then meet everybody. So I think um, I was taking like a large large ensemble class, and he was shopping one time. And then I was fascinated by like how he directs the band, how he motivates the band. And then I thought about. I, I made my mind, oh, I should talk to him. I should learn about him because I knew that um, he worked with the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra. He was the first trumpet for years. And he was just like a really awesome educator, band leader. So I think I um, I was courageous to you know come to him and talk about many things. And then when I was making like my album, I just asked, can you be a guest? guest artist and then i of course i expected to hear no but he was generous enough this to say yes and yeah so that's how uh, our collaboration happened and darcy i met him uh through bmi jazz composers workshop of course he's one of the composer celebrities in new york and i adore him of course um <clears throat> so um i won 2018 uh, BMI Charlie Parker Competition Prize. Um, and then at the time, he was one of the juries. So I knew him, like maybe I met him before, but uh, that uh, competition or uh, annual, I would, I would say annual concert that I won the prize uh, made me uh, connected to Darcy better. One more quick break from the interview to thank the people who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him to do voiceover work at hearchucknow.com. Follow the jazz session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the jazz session. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, poetry, travels, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. You can keep track of the van stuff in particular by going to instagram.com slash vanarchism, which is just the word anarchism with a V at the beginning. Now back to the show.
talk about Daring Mind, would you say there's a a theme of any kind that runs through it? Um, yeah. It's so all the competitions in Daring Mind is from my New York life from 2015 to 2020. Um. So it, it talks about my struggles, happiness, or um, any kinds of emotional statements um, while I live in the city, New York. So I have some kind of a mind series, which is unshakable mind, relentless mind, um, dissatisfied mind, revived mind. Those are mind series. And I have two uh, compositions that are dedicated to my um, close, like, the people who have lots of influence in my life. One is called GB, which is my ex-boyfriend's initial. <laughs> and um, Suji, which was my uh, one of my dearest friends from Boston. So those two are from uh, four people, for my friends or for humans. And um, the rest of that is called I Dare You. And um, why is that? So those are all like... Um, questions or um struggles or it's it's all related human emotional statements i would say and i dare you is something wayne shorter said when he was asked to define jazz (laughs) yep yep exactly i'm interested in your exploration of mind Uh, that's something that's very important to me and so i'd just like to know more about it what what interests you as you look at the way the mind works or the way your mind in particular works? My first mind series competition was Unshakable Mind. Um, I think it was 2018. I think I was struggling musically or career-wise or as just a human. That was like a, one of the darkest moments, darkest years um, to me. And um, so like, so I was thinking how all the jazz musicians in New York keep on pursuing this kind of thing. You know, like I just said, it's not a like money making process or you can't really pursue like, like, you know, brightest fame or whatsoever. It's just, it's, we do this out of our love. And at some point I was like, how can they do that? How, what kind of minds they have to keep pursuing this? So it's, that um, unshakable mind is my admiration towards all the artists keep pursuing their their um, their artistic um, determination. So um, and then I thought I wanted to I wanted to have that mind. So that competition came out that kind of story. And after that, I I wrote. Uh, dissatisfied mind, which was like, why it, it it started from the question, why am I so uncontent every time? Like, what's happening in my head? What kind of mind I have? Why do I have so like? Why am I so like bothered by lots of negativity or thoughts? So yeah, I don't know if I am answering like directly, but that's how I, you know, that was my progress. Do you find that writing music helps you answer any of these questions? Is that is that the its function even? I don't know if that gives me answers, but it surely releases releases me, of course. 
So, for instance, um, GB is talking about it's the only love story, love theme composition. It it talks about after breakup. So it has three. I would say it has three uh, different different segments. And first, you just don't believe that happened. So you keep on lingering on that kind of like beautiful memories and things. And in the middle, you finally realize it's the end, and you cry. You're devastated. And then later part, you kind of like um, give up or like you uh, walk into the like peaceful statement finally, but still be haunted by um, that relationship. So like after that composition, I really felt better than before. So it surely released my bad feelings or like heartbreaking feelings. So yeah, it surely releases Yeah, I can I can absolutely relate to that. Um, I will just say without without putting in too much of my own self into this interview um, that just fairly recently I ended a, a long relationship many years and uh, Aww. and well, <laughs> that's okay. Thank you. That's very <laughs> very kind of you, but not the point. But the um, the the point is that outside of podcasting, the other thing that I do is that I'm a poet, and I've discovered. Nice. in the months since the relationship ended that there were a lots of feelings still to be processed and that sometimes the only way I can process them is through art so in my case it's you know through oh, arranging absolutely. words on a page but that there are things like of course I have you know p- close friends and things like that that I talk about my emotions with but sometimes those aren't the right settings and you need to it needs to be a more solitary effort with a different outlet. At least that's my experience. Yep, absolutely. So um, I wrote very short liner notes on my album, and then I said, you know, com- composing has been my best friend. We danced together, laughed together, cried together. You know, that was, that's how I view my composition.
you recently won uh, an ASCAP Foundation and Symphonic Jazz Orchestra commissioning prize. Can you talk about what you won that for and what it might mean for the future? I don't know why am I so interested in large setting of the instrumentation, but I think I really like like having uh, more colors or uh, more possibilities to combine like instruments, colors, rhythm, um, timbre. So all the all the possibilities, it just expands your uh, palette, musical palette. That's how I um, view large ensemble. And I I think I have I've had enough experience with big band, which is brass band, brass people plus rhythm section. But I never really worked with strings or bassoon, clarinet, or any kinds of like classical um, instrument instrumentalists. So that for that I am especially looking forward to composing a new commission piece for the uh, symphonic jazz orchestra. So, and also, um, I never really worked with that many LA people. Um, so <laughs> I, I am very excited about it because I know how New York people are, but how LA people are, I, I haven't really experienced. So yeah, so in many why, ways I'm thrilled. Why is there an LA connection? I don't really know the circumstances of the, of the prize. Oh, that symphonic jazz orchestra is based in LA. Oh, gotcha. So you essentially won the the chance to write music for that ensemble. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. fabulous. Okay, cool. Uh, I just wasn't I wasn't aware of the nature of it, so I'm I'm glad that we understand that because I bet I'm not mm-hmm. the only person listening who wasn't aware of the nature of it. <laughs> so besides that, looking ahead, are there other things that you're other projects you're considering, other things you're already working on, other ideas that are forming in your head? 2020, I'm sure that year was very harsh um, for like most of most of the musicians, and it's continuing. So you know, when when the when the pandemic broke out, I was feeling like, oh, I have I have uh, all the time in the world, so I should I should sit down and compose. But it never really happened. I don't know. Um, so like, I realized that wow, environment is very important. I I really need to be inspired by, you know, um, fellow composers or any, you know, musicians. I I really need that live show. I really need to hear music so that I can be inspired and then I can compose more. Anyway, so I didn't really compose lots of music, to be honest. And then sometimes it makes me guilty. But um, one thing I worked on is um, since I'm Korean, I am not an expert of Korean traditional music, but for some reason I got interested in. And since Korean music, it has no harmony. It only has nearly pentatonic scale, which is very limited, but we developed lots of like intriguing rhythmic rhythmic, uh, figures. So I listened to a lot of uh, Samulori, which is percussion ensemble. Um, and then I learned about Korean uh, very special rhythms. So for my next project, I really want to combine those two um, culture, Korean traditional music and jazz big band orchestra. I don't know how it will come out, but 
I actually did two or three shows with fellow composers. Um, and then I premiered some of my arrangements or original compositions. And I think I, I was surprised because it was received really well to both sides, to Korean people and to Western people or to non-Korean people. Both were saying it was very fresh and new. I never heard something like this. So I don't know like, um, I, if I am good enough to fuse those two different genres in one, but my, my future goal is learning more of both sides and possibly I can come up with the new competitions. I'm going to just say right now, yes, you are definitely good enough. So <laughs> now, now we've answered that question. So you can you can put those worries to rest. If uh, if your first two albums are any indication, I think you'll be just fine. My guest this week has been Jihae Lee. Her new album with the Jihae Lee Orchestra is called Daring Mind. Uh, you've been hearing it all throughout the interview, and it's just absolutely fabulous. I highly, highly recommend it. Jihae, I'm so glad you came on the show. I hope this is the first of many times, and I thank you very much for taking the time to be on the Jazz Session. Thank you so much. Thanks to this week's guest, Jihae Lee. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. <laughs>